So Money episode 1202, Ask Farnoosh. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money, everybody. It is Friday, Ask Farnoosh time. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Thanks for spending part of your day with me. This is our favorite time of the week, right? Where we get to talk, connect, uh, discuss some of your questions that have been ruminating over the past week or weeks. And thank you to everybody who's been submitting questions. As you know, to reach me, very simple. There are a number of ways to send me your thoughts and questions for these episodes. You can do so on Instagram by following me at Farnoosh Tarabi and send sending me a direct message. You can email me, farnoosh at somoneypodcast.com. And last, you can go to the website, somoneypodcast.com and click on Ask Farnoosh and send me your question there. I bring this up because there are members of this show. There are subscribers that have just arrived looking at our subscriber numbers or rather our download numbers. Uh, We're very much uh, doing well this spring. And I think it's a partly because, you know, time helps. (laughs) Eventually people find you, but uh, maybe it's the Netflix show. People have been, uh, people have been contacting me, telling me they've been finding me there. And the Netflix show is called Money Explained. It's a production that is a partnership between Netflix and Vox Media. The Explain series has been going on for many seasons. This particular season focuses on money. I'm in the credit card episode. So if you're curious this weekend to see how that is, to see what I'm talking about, you can check it out. So welcome to the show. If this is your first time or you've just been listening, I just got off the phone with a listener, actually. You know I do this, right? So if you're new to the show, every Friday, and I'm going to do this soon, pick a reviewer of the week from the iTunes review section and... uh, as a thank you, you know, for leaving a review, we have a 15 minute money session. And just recently I spoke to a listener who is just doing so well in the past year. He's been able to pay down credit card debt. He's uh, been able to move back home, closer to home and be with family, um, looking at maybe creating a business around his skill set as an actor and a performer and feeling really more in control of his finances. And he really credits this podcast for helping him get over that bridge Uh, where before he didn't really have a community, he said, or a financial expert to lean on. And so this community has been there for him throughout these many difficult months. And he's feeling much more confident and excited about his future. So this is the potential of tapping into a community like So Money. And, you know, I'm not going to make you stick around here if you don't like what I have to say, but I hope you'll stick around. Uh, Sometimes we don't agree on this show, right? We have differing points of view, but that's the point. We got to talk. We got to let it air out. This week I had on the show a, a woman who probably has gotten her fair share of criticism uh, pertaining to her book, which is called We Need to Talk, a memoir about wealth. And her name is Jennifer Risher. Jen, she was on the show on Wednesday talking about how when she inherited or came into a, a ton of money through her work in the tech space, her company IPO'd and she made millions of dollars, how it was really difficult for her to navigate that newfound wealth 
managing relationships with family and friends uh, who now looked at her differently and also looking at herself differently. What does this mean that I have millions of dollars in the bank? I know, I know, right? Problems when you're rich, you know, navigating your emotions, different than when you're poor and you can't put food on the table. So her negative reviews on Amazon reflected this, but she has also on the other side of it gotten a lot of people pouring their hearts out and saying, yeah, you know, whether it was we made more money in our business, got a raise, uh, inherited money from family or got lucky and won the lottery or an IPO. We're working for a company that IPO'd and we made millions. It was weird. It was tough. So I really appreciated Jen for coming on the show and talking about this and recognizing that in the context of the world that we live in today, maybe not something people want to hear, right? The issues or the concerns of the wealthy. But if we're going to talk about money, let's talk about all the angles. Let's talk about all types of money. So this is what this show is about, really bringing to the forefront all the different issues that we sometimes don't talk about when it comes to money. We talk about money at the intersection of things, money and feminism, money and motherhood, money and race, money and marriage, money and work, money and kids, right? All of it. All this to say, welcome to the show, and we're going to make this episode another great one. We have so many good questions from listeners, everything from picking up your life, your financial life after a divorce, how your job and your job security might impact the purchase of a home, getting approved for a mortgage, where to park money that you might want to use to buy a home in the next five to seven years, because right now you're looking at the market and going, "Uh uh-uh. I don't have the stomach for this. I don't want to be one of 18 bidders on a home. So you want to wait it out and meantime, hold on to that down payment money. Where do you park it? And then how much is too much to have in a rainy day savings account? Is there such a thing? So we're going to address all of these questions momentarily, but let's first go to that iTunes review section and pick our reviewer of the week. Once again, this person will receive a free 15-minute money session with me. And this week, we're going to say thank you so much to Olivia, who says, what have I been doing with my, I think, life? It got cut off. But she says, I cannot emphasize how much has changed for me since beginning to listen to Farnoosh. I'm a 28-year-old teacher walking around thinking that I am the only person who loves spending time balancing my budget. I have found my people through this podcast. Not only have I learned so much from the advice Farnoosh has given, but I've also been led to other great people who have helped me inspire me to want more. I have been a teacher for six years, but after listening to So Money for just a month or two, I'm thinking of starting a business, something I would have never said six months ago. I'm also hoping Farnoosh could talk a little bit about saving for retirement when it comes to a pension. I Am I set or should I pretend I don't have any retirement at all? Thank you, Farnoosh. Well, thank you, Olivia, so much. Please, let's discuss your retirement question, your pension questions, or whatever else is on your money mind. 15 minutes, you and me, you didn't get a lot done in 15 minutes. I feel like I have such a power 15 minutes with our reviewers. And so the best way to let me know you left this review is... Like I said, email me, Farnoosh at So Money Podcast, direct message me on Instagram. Let me know you're the Olivia who left this review on May 12th. I will send you a link where you can pick a time for us to chat. Thanks so much. And before we get to the mailbag, I just want to give an update on something that I'm working on. It's in the works for June. I think you'll be, I think you'll like it. I'm calling it Crypto Week. (laughs) So the time has come. 
I can't avoid it any longer. You know, I've dabbled in some crypto topics over the years, but I feel like we really need to just dive deep and dedicate like a whole week to this, maybe a whole three to five episodes. I'll do extra work. I don't care. I just feel like a lot of people have been asking about this whole crypto sector and how to navigate it, how to interpret it, how to maybe even invest in it. And so I want to talk to some real experts, not people who are fanatics. I don't want to talk to any tech bros. You know what I'm talking about. This space, I think for me has been, and maybe some of you can relate, I am repelled (laughs) by it. And I'll be the first to admit, I don't understand all of it. I, I feel like I get, I feel like I have like a B plus understanding of what this is, you know, in terms of like blockchain being the infrastructure, these currencies, whether it's Bitcoin, Dogecoin, Ethereum, um, NFTs, right? Non-fungible tokens. Like I study that and I'm curious, but I feel like as far as an investment category, I'm skeptical and I have a lot of questions. A lot of these questions come from you. And I want to ask people who are looking at this very objectively and calmly and aren't going to come on to tell us one way or the other necessarily what to do, but can provide context and can also provide, you know, a look forward. So Another thing about crypto, which mystifies me, is that if this were actually to take over as the primary way that we exchange for goods and services, like the currency, if blockchain replaces the Federal Reserve, right, um, what is this world that we are living in? Like, what else does this imply about the world? Are we flying cars? Are we living in the minority report? Are we living in the matrix? Like what are our other issues? Because that's also important to know because that will also inform perhaps how we should be thinking about our money and investments. So again, you know, the intersection of money, crypto, technology, and lifestyle And what is this going to mean for the environment? What is this going to mean for our relationships with other countries? How can crypto be a helper? What are the risks? All this stuff I want to know and probably won't get to everything in the week, but I hope that listeners will walk away with a clear understanding. They can explain this at least to a friend and you can feel more empowered. How does that sound? Are you excited for that? I hope so. I am. Stay tuned. All right, let's go to our questions of the week. Our first question is from M. I abbreviated her name to stay anonymous because I thought maybe this question was a little too sensitive for her. But I, she says, hey, Farnoosh, I've been listening to your podcast for years. And through that, you've really increased my financial knowledge. Right now, though, I find myself in a weird spot. I'm 30. I'm getting divorced. I'm going to walk away with a little more than $90,000 in cash, about 50000 in retirement, my personal belongings, and my dog. My ex is going to keep the house, the furniture, the car I've been driving. I'm paying about $15,000 cash for a new car and will be renting for the next year at about $1,000 a month. I make $75,000 a year and I can easily cash flow my lifestyle. I have no debt. What do I do with the rest of the money? I looked into making a down payment on a rental property, but the housing market here is bananas. The stock market is way up, so I'm not sure there is much opportunity to buy low and sell high. Every time I look at the tens of thousands of dollars sitting in my checking account, I get anxious that I'm missing out on opportunities to become more financially secure. 
All right, Em. I'm so glad you're getting your dog. And sounds like uh, you're walking away with a lot of financial security. Your cash flow is good. Let's start with that $90,000 that you're going to be getting in cash, which I know that's kind of creating a lot of anxiety for you. Of that, do you need to set any of that aside for a rainy day? Do you have at least four to six months of your hard expenses locked up in a savings account somewhere so that if you didn't work or you wanted to leave your job, you had a little bit of wiggle room time to make choices and decisions and not feel like you're reacting to financial challenges? That's the first thing that I would think about looking at that $90,000. Next, retirement. I wouldn't worry that the market is high or low right now. I mean, look, you're in it for the long run. You're 30 years old. So you've got another 30 plus years to allow this money to compound and grow. And some days it's going to be up. Some days it's going to be down. It's not about timing the market when it comes to saving for retirement, but it's about not wasting time, right? Beyond your 401k at work, can you open up a Roth at a brokerage or a bank? And then beyond some of these tax efficient accounts, what about a brokerage account? So if you're thinking about investing as far as priorities go or sort of steps, step one is your employer-sponsored retirement account. That could be a 401k, also known as a 403b in other places. Then from there, what about a Roth IRA or a traditional IRA? And then from there, a brokerage account, which doesn't have really any tax incentives, uh, but allows you to still you know, invest. And there you can open up index funds, ETFs, things like that that are low fee. And similar to the way that your portfolio is designed within the 401k, you can mirror that in the brokerage account. It's just a supplement at that point. A lot of times people open up the brokerage account after they've done these other steps of the 401k or the Roth IRA because they want to do more and there are limits to how much you can save in a 401k and a Roth IRA, but no limits in a brokerage account. To recap, we've talked about saving for your rainy day. Then it's looking at investing with this money. Then yes, if you have money left over and you want to buy a home in the future or frankly, solve any goal in the future, whether that's a house or starting a business or going back to school or supporting family, letting this money grow in a risk-free account, because to me, this does sound like money you might want to access, like you said, in the next five to seven years. I wouldn't risk it by putting it in the stock market. I would instead think about putting it in a high-yield savings account, a money market account, things like that. But don't put it in the stock market. You may not have enough time to recover from a steep drop. The most important thing when you're talking about money that you're going to need in the medium term or the short term is security so that wherever you're parking that cash, it's FDIC insured. And yeah, if you can get also a relatively high savings rate, but right now savings rates aren't that high, great. But don't worry that it's not earning you you know, 10% a year because it could also drop 20% in a year, right? That's the nature of that type of account. Moving on to Meg. She says, Farnoosh, I love listening to your podcast. Thank you for the wonderful content and money guidance. I have what feels like a unique circumstance, but I'm starting to think I'm not the only one navigating this. My fiance and I live in Portland and have plans to move to my home state of Wisconsin later this year. We are saving up for a 20% down payment for our first home. We have both been at our current jobs for three to five years and have solid work histories. We have 800 credit scores. We have great rental history. 
And now we'd like to buy a home shortly after moving. I'm concerned, though, that the lenders won't like that we will be both fresh at our new jobs. Is this a valid concern? If I have an opportunity to stay at my current company working remote, will that look better to secure the mortgage? Thank you so much. All right. So, Meg... You know, the bottom line for banks when they're lending you money, whether it's for a mortgage or a car loan, is they want to make sure that you're going to be good for it. Credit score is really important, which you are acing there. Having savings is really important, which it sounds like you have. And then, of course, job security. Security is the key there. Uh, Whether you have had this job for 100 years or six months is not as significant. I don't understand why they would even care about that. The bank will, of course, want to talk to your employer and just make sure that your job is in good standing. Because remember, a lot of people move and they start new jobs all the time. Are we to suggest or guess that those people aren't getting homes or aren't getting mortgages because they're, you know, moving on with their lives? I mean, the thing is, a bank will want to see returns, tax returns, and they'll want to see that you've been making money. That's the most important thing. They want to know that you're good for it. In other words, that you're like employable. So if you had the previous job for, you know, five years, that's really great. And now you've chosen to start a new job. It's not that you've been out of work for many years or you work in an industry that is shrinking or unstable. That's another scenario. But I think what you're doing is strategic and smart. You're moving up in your career. You're changing locations. You're starting a new job. You're employable. I think it would be different if you were unemployed for many years and then just started this and then subsequent to that applied for a loan. I I can't read the minds of these underwriters, but I would say that that scenario might be a little bit of a red flag. But again, if you've got savings, if you've got proof of income, if you have another partner who's co-applying for this mortgage, who's making income, both have good credit scores, I I think you're going to be in the top running. And sometimes it helps to work with a local bank or a credit union, where I think sometimes you might find loan officers who are more understanding of individual case-by-case scenarios. And um, I know also that they work around the clock. I'm hearing, in our neighborhood at least, and through friend circles, that sometimes sellers because you know they can ask for anything these days, they're asking buyers uh, to work with a local lender because they want a fast close. And local lenders typically work a little bit faster. They work round the clock. They, you know, they, they really are more incentivized to get the deal done. It's big business for these local banks. The big banks, you know, mortgage industry is not super lucrative for them. Just a little sidebar there. But To answer your question directly, I don't think this is going to be a red flag. And really, never make such a big career decision based on a hunch about what a bank may or may not do to grant you a mortgage. I mean, you need to first make this career choice that's going to work for you, right? Don't ever make a career choice based on what a bank may or may not think of your job. Who cares what the bank thinks? There are a lot of banks out there that will give you the business. Just because one bank doesn't give you the loan doesn't mean another bank won't either. So do you. Be happy. Do the job that's going to make you happiest. And if this is a really great opportunity, you should take it. 
Um, again, the bank will want a letter from your employer saying that, you know, they're happy with you and you're doing great work and that should be enough for them. But I haven't heard anything where, you know, they're discriminating against people who've just started new jobs after, by the way, being gainfully employed. If you were on unemployment for two years, maybe I think that would be a conversation you want to be ready for. But I don't think otherwise it is. A side note on this, though, I just thought of a story that kind of relates to what you're asking. A friend of mine was working at a company that was offering employees a voluntary leave package. And she knew that she wanted to buy a home in the next year and would have to go apply for a mortgage. This voluntary leave package was very, very tempting. You know, it was going to offer like a year's worth of salary for her. And in that time, she would have wanted to go and you know probably buy a house. But she was worried that while technically making money from the unemployment leave package, she would not be employed, right? And that would hurt her chances of getting a mortgage approval. And I think in that case, she was smart to stay in the job and ride it out get the mortgage and then make a decision from there. Because and also in her circumstance, buying that home was really important. I mean, it was a written, she wasn't miserable at the job. It was just a very attractive leave package. Uh, but she remembered that, you know, if she really wants to relocate her family and buy a home and get settled, it would probably be important for her to have evidence of a job. So never want to be unemployed, right, when you're applying for a mortgage, which technically would have been her case. Okay, next up is Prell. Hey, Farnoosh, I'm looking to buy property in about five to seven years. I wanted to know the best place to keep the money. Well, we sort of answered this Prell in a previous question, right? I think high yield savings account, money market account. You're not going to get the best interest rate, but you're going to get the lowest risk. And for money that you need to tap in such a short period of time, a low risk account trumps, should trump what the return is going to be. That I think is the quote unquote safest to put your money And last but not least, Lizzie says, hey, Farnoosh, how many months of living expenses do you advise someone to have in their emergency fund who has little to no chance of losing a job? I'm a tenured professor. Six to 12 months feels like way too much cash to have sitting in a savings account. Yeah, Lizzie. I mean, I think that a year's worth of savings, especially in a job like that, would be uh, a lot, maybe too much. And by too much, I mean, you probably won't need 12 months of savings, right? The probability of that is low. Uh, But I would ask this question, okay, not to complicate things, but you know, you say it's a tenured professorship, which that is outstanding. And yeah, those jobs are pretty much like locked solid. But if you wanted to leave that job or for whatever reason they had to let you go, what is the chance that you are going to find another tenured professorship? Right. Or you'd probably have to go somewhere else and then work your way back to that status. And also professor jobs are they're not that abundant. They're hard to come by. Sounds like you're very in demand. So I don't think you'd have a hard time finding a job. But do think about that scenario before you just assume you don't need a whole lot in savings, because if you ever did want to leave or they told you, sorry, we can't offer this position anymore and you had to go out looking again for a comparable job and salary, what's the likelihood there? That's for you to answer. I I have no idea. But I do sit on an advisory board at Penn State and I advise the dean of the business school. And I know that, you know, they're not like handing out tenureship like 
candy, right? This is a very prestigious, difficult thing to achieve. And there are only so many of these positions. So you might be secure while you've got the job, but if you don't have the job, can you quickly find another job? And that's what you really have to think about when you're thinking of how much savings do I need? How quickly can you find another job? And sometimes this is going to depend on your industry and your rank in that industry. So if you're like my dad, who's super tenured in his career and did lose his job in his 60s, you know what? It took him at least a year, maybe a year and a half to find another job. And even there, he had to like rethink his career strategy. He pivoted a little bit. So your savings is not just a matter of like some hypothetical number. It's a matter of you personally being able to find another job. How much time is that going to take? Right now in this country, the average amount of time it's taking for people to find work is about last check. I mean, so I'm a little rusty on this, but around eight months, six to eight months. So that's why we say have about a six month six to nine month rainy day cushion. I think 12 months would be too much, better to invest some of that, but at least six months, I would say for you, Lizzie. And congrats on your tenured professorship. That's very fancy. And that's a wrap, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in to this edition of Ask Farnoosh. Be sure if you like what you're listening to, subscribe, leave a review. And if you want to send me your questions, especially for Crypto Week, you know how to do it. Click on Ask Farnoosh on the So Money Podcast website. You can DM me on Instagram or you can just direct email me, farnoosh at somoneypodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in, everybody, spending part of your day with me. And I hope your weekend is so money. <laughs>